Hello and welcome to Forex Focus, UBP's FX podcast. I'm Peter Kinsella, Global Head of FX Strategy at UBP, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Elias Haddad. Elias is a Senior Market Strategist at Brown Brothers Harriman. Elias, you're very welcome on the podcast again. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for coming back. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for having me. It's always a pleasure and an honor uh, to be uh, one of your guests. Oh, you're too kind by far. Um, Elias, look, we're, we're going to discuss the dollar today. Um, there's a huge amount going on in terms of data, you know, uh, back up in yields, performance year to date. So I guess I'll, I'll set the scene. Um, the dollar has pretty much outperformed the vast majority of G10 currencies so far this year, uh, probably with the exception of only the, the British pound. And um, that kind of goes against the grain uh, in the sense that at the beginning of the year, every, you know, markets were expecting a, you know, a series of pretty severe rate cuts from the Fed. Of course, that hasn't as yet happened. Um, so first of all, let, let's talk about the performance of the dollar. What, what, what do you put that down to? What is this dollar's resilience uh, caused by in your view? Oh, it's uh, it, absolutely. It's um, what we've seen since the beginning of the year is a significant uh, upward revision to U.S. rate expectations. And we started the year with uh, money markets pricing in over 160 basis points uh, of Fed rate cut, which was completely uh, out of whack with where actually Fed funds, uh, the FOMC's uh, projections for 2024 were at 75 basis points. Now, since then, we've seen money market or Fed funds futures adjust higher uh, and uh, essentially bringing the US dollar up with it and adjusting closer to where uh, the FOMC's projection for 2024 uh, is, implying roughly 75 basis points of, of rate cut. But what triggered this upward shift in uh, U.S. interest rate expectations in favor of the dollar, well, you had solid U.S. economic activity, right? Really driven by consumer spending, as well as you know an encouraging or an improving uh, inflation backdrop. So all of this uh, really uh, led to or supported this upward shift in rate expectations in U.S. yields, uh, and this U.S. economic outperformance theme uh, was another big driver uh, of the uh, U.S. dollar strength uh, so far this year. Yeah, it, it does seem as though that the, the dollar's exception, exceptionalism has, has continued. Um, if, if we look at sort of the inflation picture, right, um, we've seen in the latter part of sort of last year, 2020, uh, 2023, from June onwards, we saw this disinflation narrative really take hold. And uh, coming into this year, we've seen a small bounce in, in CPI data, um, at least on a year-on-year basis. And, and some of the monthly data um, have also been surprised slightly to the upside. Um, are you worried about U.S. inflation? Or are you still of the view that it will kind of come down over the remainder of the year? I think there's been tremendous improvement in the U.S. inflation backdrop. Certainly, the, the, the monthly data we had for January uh, was a little bit worrisome, but it's just one data point. Uh, you know, you look at the three, the three or even six-month uh, annualized uh, rate of change in the policy-relevant PCE deflator, uh, and they're they're close to two percent or two and a half percent. So we're we're the inflation backdrop in the U.S. is encouraging. It's still high. Uh, underlying inflation is still high, and that's why you know we don't expect the Fed to to deliver uh, as much as perhaps money market are expecting. So we still see some. You have some some room here for rate expectations to adjust uh, to adjust higher because underlying inflation in the U.S. remains elevated, and because U.S. economic activity 
uh, namely consumer spending or domestic demand in general, is still quite resilient. And um, and for this reason, there is still here room for the U.S. dollar to continue to outperform uh, for the next uh, three to six months. Sure, sure. And I suppose if we, you know, if we coming into the second quarter, you know, I guess the the backdrop needs to be the U.S. presidential election will start to crystallize somewhat. And um, I suppose it's going to be an interesting year in the context that normally the dollar tends to appreciate during U.S. election years, right? Um, irrespective of you know, whoever wins the White House and or the, the, the House of Congress. Um, what's your view this year? Do, do you think, is, are there, is there something else going on? Is it a bit more of a nuanced debate vis-a-vis uh, -vis the tariff story from Trump, et cetera? What, what do you think is kind of likely to happen? Well, to me, when I look at the, the, the political dynamic and implications for, for, for the dollar, it's really, what does it mean for fiscal policy? You know, you look in 2016, just before uh, uh, you know, the election of Donald Trump, or, um, or, or I think around the election of Donald Trump, he had a pretty significant rally in the U.S. dollar, right? Well, what was the reason behind this rally in the U.S. dollar? Well, he had a favorable monetary and fiscal mix. On the monetary side, you had the Fed uh, starting to, to raise interest rates. And on the fiscal front, you had expectations that these uh, of the, the, the Trump tax cuts generate fiscal stimulus. So the, the, the combination of tight monetary policy with the expectations of loose monetary policy from the uh, Trump administration, uh, that's, good, yeah. that's right, um, generated this big upswing that we've seen in 2016 in the U.S. dollar. Now, similarly, look at 2022, right? The big rally we've had in 2022, right? Combination of the Fed beginning to raise interest rates, so tighter monetary policy, and also expectations of uh, more fiscal stimulus from Biden's uh, you know, infrastructure program or inflation reduction act, uh, and so on and so forth. So you had this combination of looser fiscal policy, tighter monetary policy that boosted the, the the U.S. dollar in 2022. Now, going forward into these elections, listen, you've got. I, I look at the IMF's forecast for you know the fiscal stance in the U.S. over the next couple of years, and fiscal policy is probably going to be a, a, a bit of a drag. Uh, on the U.S. on the U.S. economy, so you don't have the loose policy settings that you that you that you had back in 2016 and 2022 that would tend to be bullish for the U.S. dollar, uh, and at the same time, the Fed uh, about to to cut interest rates. Now we can argue how much you're going to be cutting rates, but the point here is that they're not going to be tightening policy uh, uh, in in the next year or so. So. This monetary fiscal mix that was positive in 2016 and 2022 is essentially neutral uh, for, for this year. And, and so I don't see this to be a big uh, tailwind uh, here or a big drag for the U.S. dollar. Sure. If we, if we look at the, the tariff aspects, right, um, you know, we, we saw you know, during uh, 2016, you know, when, when Trump um, became president the first time, um, you know, he implied, he applied these tariffs on, on Chinese imports or imports from China. And, um, for the most part, they've, they've still remained in place. Um, if we think about the theory of how tariffs work, um, they're supposed to basically lead to, you know, your, your consumers are supposed to pay more. The idea is that it's a, it basically encourages domestic production of various goods and services, um, are leading in a sense to a slightly, slight deterioration in, in over overall consumer welfare. Right. Um, if we look at the, the example since 2016, 2017, what we can see actually is that 
production of manufactured goods has shifted from China towards other countries, um, particularly Mexico. And certainly vis-a-vis Mexico, we know that Mexico has got lower production costs than China and elsewhere. So in a sense, that the tariffs that we've seen thus far being applied um, on, on China and other countries have actually been rather disinflationary for, for U.S. consumers, in a sense. And if we look at U.S. you know producer U, U.S. import prices, you know there's no evidence whatsoever that you know they've, they've increased in any meaningful sense. So I think that's because of dollar strength, though. In, in, in part, import import prices uh, not being a big a big driver of inflation. I think I think that's definitely part of it, but as well, I think it's this lower cost production narrative from from China elsewhere as as, as or, or deglobalization. Mm-hmm. Part. Now, I guess if we kind of bring it forward, you know, to the current um, current campaign, yeah, we're, we're hearing talk about uh, across the board tariffs, but also even on European goods. And so, I think really the, the way I think about it is in terms of calculating the growth beaters. So, what does that mean? Basically, what it means is if a tariff is applied on say, Chinese goods or European goods, whatever, um, it will tend to have a deleterious impact upon. Um, those currencies beat the euro or or, or the um, or, or the war. and so scaling these growth beaters is is kind of interesting. The context that if we assume you know, the, the the estimates for these growth beaters are somewhere between forty and sixty percent, meaning if we put on a ten percent tariff, that tends to lead to uh, around a four percent to six percent um, down move in these various currencies uh, vis-a-vis the dollar over time. Um, so oh, it's okay. this, this this phase of dollar outperformance could last for for a little bit longer. I'm in the same camp as you for for another sort of three three to six months, and thereafter, once we we price in sort of weaker um, growth outcomes and or a lower inflation outlook, we'll certainly begin to see the dollar give give up some of its gains. Um, I would like to kind of ask you one question, if I may, um, which yep. was in relation to sort of your view on reserve assets, right, and and the dollar very slowly losing its kind of a foothold as the the ultimate reserve currency. And, um, you know, maybe our, our, our sort of listeners would be interested in hearing that. Yeah, sure. But before I get to that, actually, sure. it's important to, to look, you know, if we if we still, we focus on the cyclical outlook for the US dollar, yeah. I think what's remarkable, you know, you, the current, the current macro backdrop, right, of resilient US economic activity and uh, uh, low or, or, or disinflationary pressure in the US, it's it's quite. I mean, it's it's a it's really as good as it gets, right? When you want to come, when you want to talk about that from a macro, big global macro picture. So I looked in the past and 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 I said, what other periods similar to today of high growth, low inflation? What were other periods like this in the past? And what happened to the U.S. dollar uh, during those uh, this favorable macro uh, backdrop period? And you had two two periods like this. That are comparable to today. You had the mid '90s, right? The Roaring '90s, uh, where you had strong growth, inflation low, uh, and you had also the mid 2010s. Same, same, the same picture as we have now: strong growth, inflation coming under control. And under both these, uh, during both these periods, the U.S. dollar was on fire. Right? U.S. dollar outperformed because of you know relative economic activity uh, favoring the U.S. Uh, uh, and, and also relative monetary policy uh, favoring the U.S. Now, what's similar actually between uh, the mid, the roaring mid-90s and today is productivity growth. Productivity growth in the mid-90s was very strong, I think, or around 2.7% on a quarterly basis on average over the mid-90s, which is very similar to what we're having now. 
right? Mm-hmm. And what was driving this productivity growth? Well, it was, it was all these businesses really harnessing the power of the internet to boost productivity. And perhaps we could see the same thing with uh, artificial intelligence now if those businesses are able to, to, to harness the power of AI. And, and so to me, the periods, the roaring 90s are very similar to the current period, the current uh, environment that the U.S. is facing now. But I do not expect the U.S. dollar to have such a powerful structural rally because we have two important structural headwinds here for the U.S. dollar that to me suggest that we're not going to see the U.S. dollar uh, sustain any big rally if we look at the dollar index, for instance, above 110. And what are those two big structural headwinds? Well, the first one we talked about, it's right the relative monetary fiscal backdrop, which is neutral. And the second one is, well, we not you're not going to see those portfolio diversification in favor of the U.S. like we've seen in the mid-90s and in the mid-2010s, right? Those two peers were consistent or coincident with a big upswing in uh, or a, a shift in portfolio managers' uh, assets in favor of the U.S. dollar. This is not the case right now. In fact, I would say I think the U.S. dollar is still going to be the ultimate reserve currency, no doubt about it. I mean, you're not. It's still the the dollar dominates across all the major major three spectrums of you know what a reserve currency should be, which is store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account. The U.S. dominates by far on all those three measures, but there is a steady diversification away from the U.S. dollar. You look at you know uh, central banks. Uh, allocation to U.S. dollar, it, it totals to roughly, what, 59% uh, at the end, end of last year, compared to a high of over 70% uh, back in the early 2000. So there's a steady erosion in the U.S. dollar in terms of portfolio, in terms of uh, central bank's allocation to that currency. And it usually, it tends to favor uh, the euro and it tends to favor gold, especially yeah. in an environment where you have those financial repercussions uh, to countries that don't uh, abide to the uh, the U.S. and the Western-led alliance. Yeah, I, I guess really on, on that point, it's, it's worth noting for, for our listeners that we've consistently highlighted, you know, in the last year or so that central banks have been huge purchases of buyers of physical gold. So in, in 2022, the central banks bought over 1,100 tons of physical gold. 2023, uh, they bought uh, just over 1,000 tons of physical gold. And that compares you know, to an average of around 400 tons per year over the previous sort of uh, 15 years, you know? So we, we've seen a really big step change uh, in terms of central banks' attitude towards gold. And I think that's, in a sense, an anti-dollar trade, uh, you know, if ever there was one. Um, it's God's currency, right? Indeed, indeed, so it is. So I guess if we if we put it all together, Elias, um, we have this you know this this sweet spot for the dollar at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. You know this combination of relatively tight policy, loose fiscal dynamics, that's going to kind of run out of road uh, in, mm-hmm. in the six, in the coming three to six months. Some election uncertainty. We'll we'll see how we get through that. And thereafter, uh, we, you know, with a Fed rate cutting cycle, we should see the dollar begin to give up some of its gains. Would you generally agree with that overall? Yeah, I think right now we're in an environment that's three, three or six months of uh, where the U.S. dollar uh, has room to, to edge higher. U.S. economic performance, that is the big theme here, supporting the dollar. I mean, you look at the quarterly growth in Q4, the U.S. over 3%. 
Eurozone stagnating, Japan, UK economy and technical recession. I mean, and all the, the leading indicators continue to point to this US economic outperformance theme. But, you know, beyond three to six months, uh, I think the structural headwinds for the US dollar means that uh, uh, we're not going to see uh, such a, uh, you know, this rally uh, sustained. Indeed. Okay. Well, there you are. There you are. Thank you very much indeed for, for coming on the podcast, Elias. And, and uh, greatly appreciate it as always. And indeed, we look forward to having you on, on, the, uh, on the podcast again. And to all of our listeners, Thank you very much indeed. Um, you can find all of our latest views at www.ubp.com. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thank you, Peter. Thank you.